Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot. Where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Welcome home, Brains. There's only one requirement to hang out on the edge, is that you open your big brain and close your small mind. Did you bring your thinking caps? It's time to put them on, because the conversation starts Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. We're at your favorite spot. Oh, yes, the podcast, the place where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. And today we have Carla Lewis. Carla Lewis is a stronghold. Oh, yes, she's into leadership. She's into organized labor unions. She's worked for Ford. Uh, She's a speaker. She's just a dynamo. We're going to talk to her about what that looks like in the labor market today. It has changed and it is ever evolving. I remember once upon a time, I was a union steward and unions really had a stronghold. If you have looked at the last, what, maybe 12 months here in the U.S., it seems like everybody's on strike from the nurses to entertainment to the auto industry. People are tired of that. But organizations are tired of it too. So how does the rubber meet the road? Carla's going to share that with us and a whole lot more. Welcome to the show, Carla. Thank you, April. I am so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here too, because, you know, it's different. It is so different. As I just said in the intro, people are quietly quitting their jobs. They just go and show up. It used to be a work ethic that I want to pour into this company. Uh, There was a sense of entitlement that I'm going to be there 20 years. I'm going to retire. I'm going to get my pension. I'm going to get my medical and I'm going to be fine. No, now this is not the same. Uh, Then you look at companies like Starbucks that are going full fledged ahead in organizing as well as Amazon employees are looking to unionize. What's the what's the climate in that? What's going on? I think that the first thing I would want to say about it is that unions have served such good for so many people for so many years. And if we think back now, I'm in Michigan. So uh, automotive in particular, we're, we're real familiar with with the unions. And and they started out with the with, with a focus on trying to protect the individual workers who didn't have a voice in things like safety, uh, in in job security, in pay, in benefits, and being able to come together and help create healthy, safe environments for people to get good wages for doing a good job. So the I'm not sure of the evolution of unions per se across all of the different service groups that are represented now, but for automotive, for certain, uh, it has just, it has been such a boon. I believe, I have no stats to back this up. It's just my gut that had the unions not formed when they did, essentially starting in the late 30s, but had the unions not formed, we'd have a whole lot of people that were living a subpar life that wouldn't have jobs and the opportunity to use more than just their hands and their backs to get work done. I mean, their heads, their heads, their, you know, their minds being able to go in. If you've ever been into a, um, an automotive facility, manufacturing or assembly, it is this intricate dance, whether it was just the people back in the days when Henry Ford, you know, got that, that um, assembly line going or with the robots that come in and do tasks that repetitive nature tasks that really would wear people people's parts wear out. I mean, right. so, so, I mean, there's so, being, so many door jams or doors that you can install and, and even the drilling, you know, that repetitive exactly. motion and that, and that frequency, but also equal yeah. pay, equal pay. pay for equal work because these automotive, and we're just picking on them right now, uh, make a whole lot of cheddar. They get big bags and not to, uh, uh, to share that equally among their employees, you know, was very yes. 
Yes. Uh, but yes. just look at and we'll switch to another industry. We'll say like nursing. You know, during the pandemic, they couldn't even get protective gear. They were forced to take, and I get it, you know, you're in a healthcare environment, but they were forced to take medicine that they didn't want to take. They were yeah. working ridiculous hours. There was stress. And now you look at the entertainment industry, you know, the entertainment, I work in entertainment, honey, and they make big bags. They got a lot of money too, but you're going to have artificial intelligence uh, that is going to be able to interject in some of these major roles and uh, replicate the actor's image and not pay them. You know, you got to draw the line somewhere and you've got to be protected. Also copyrights. I'm very, yes. very protective about the copyright of my show. That's my intellectual property. Okay. Somebody go in there, they do an edit, they put a commercial in, they talk about a product, something that I didn't endorse then I'm called under the carpet. It's about right. protection. It's about yes. protection. It's not against, you know, uh, the resistance and fight against the machine. It's it's not that. It's trying mm -hmm. to protect what I invest in these organizations. And I absolutely, believe, you know, from the bottom up, the employees have a vested interest. They are the ones that run the machine. They are the company. Absolutely. It doesn't happen without them. It's, I don't think it's ever going to be totally without people. Somebody has to open the door to let the new, <laughs> new bots in, to bring in the new AI, whatever it's going to be. But the notion that AI, I've heard this, and I'm, I'm not sure how it got this crazy, but the, when the notion that AI is going to replace people is absurd. The fact that it can assist people. I, I, you know, I don't because I and the reason why I say that I'm sorry to interject real quick, but just Good. look at the uh, 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 the IVRs. I worked in customer service. That was a great job. You know, you had someone that would pick up the phone, and now you have these IVRs that you can't even get a person unless you hit that zero four or five times. So it can replace a physical person. I think it can take over some of the roles that physical people have had to have had to hold. I, I agree with that. And the fact that we can use uh, computer technology to be able to get an answer for a person faster is good. So if you look at it from both sides, as the customer service agent who's just been displaced by a robot who's going to answer the phone and ask me to punch a bunch of numbers to hopefully get an answer, this is very upsetting. At the same time, as the customer on the other side is looking and saying, I, I have to say, I actually hate those ones where you have to keep on pushing the buttons and you can't get Wait to a, a person. No, no, and no. That's not the, I hate the ones you keep pushing the button and then it just says, you know what, we cannot assist you and hang up. <laughs> the hang ups, it's a whole, like a whole different genre. <laughs> but when I keep saying representative, representative, Please just give me a person. Um, some places, maybe a bank, maybe a doctor's office, that you might be able to get a person. But a financial institution, a credit mm -hmm. card company, mm -hmm. and then everything else also that we have to consider is being shipped offshore. You've got a lot of great Indian people. You've got a, a lot of great Filipino people, Asian people. And then we wonder about identity theft. You're providing the information to someone in a foreign country. They do a great job. They work for probably, uh, one of my girlfriends said that she's hired people for half the salary that she's paying the Americans and they do a better job. So, you know. Yeah, and so what's up with that? Yeah, what's up with that? Really? So I, I, um, I remember Way, when I was a part of manufacturing in, in my Ford years, um, and this whole notion of offshoring the work, um, the blue ocean was a big deal right then. Um, so offshoring work was this new thing. And I think it was, it wasn't that it was new that we would engage other countries with lower labor costs to do stuff. But I, I look at what happened to us during COVID and the fact that we did not have the capacity to make the teeniest, tiniest little bitty pieces and parts to go into vehicles because all of that technology had been offshored, outsourced, 
whatever word you want to use today. And so frustrating that, yes, we we can do that. How much did it cost us to not be able to do that? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm pounding on my desk here. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, how much did... Uh, and so th it is a wicked circle that that just keeps spinning, it's almost like flushing. That <laughs> um, We've got the notion that technology can be a pal, it can be a friend, it can really help us. At the same time, it complicates the crap out of looking at a future. What, how, do, how do I look at a future 10 years from now even? Now I'm I'm mixing some of what you talked about earlier on the the notion of retirement and and what's going on. I'm I am from that old school. I was the one that sold my soul to the company store. I you know 30 years I gave it my best and I retired. I had the privilege to retire. I don't even think that's a concept anymore. I was reading in the Wall Street Journal that if you stay with an organization 8 years, you know, you're winning that mm -hmm. 20 years, but it became, I, I went to a, I was working for the utility industry and I went to a conference and this woman uh, had a speech impediment. She was actually, she was deaf and she learned how to speak, but her message spoke volumes because she said the days of entitlement are long gone because you've been with a company 20 years now. Folks are dying before they're able to retire or the company is dissolving or they give you a golden handshake at 17 years, 16 years, or you don't have the, you don't have the age to get your social security or a medical. That's really what's getting people is the medical. They might be able to fly by because they've been in their home or the home's paid off or whatever. And they've dialed back. They don't need the luxuries that they've had before. They just want to get a little travel in, a little fishing trip <laughs> every now and then. But it's the medical. It's the yeah. long term. That's where it is. And, you know, the trickery of our government, uh, we're in the middle of giving a whole bunch of aid to other countries right now, but nobody's talking about the debt ceiling. I thought that was supposed to expire in three or four days. Nobody's even talking about that. So you look at the American currency, okay? You look at our viability, you look at our longevity, but you also have to look at our millennials. You have yes. to look at the young people. What do they care about? They don't care about the gas motor vehicles that they were producing at Ford. They want electric vehicles. They want sustainability. They want clean water. They want to be able to go to school without getting shot. You know, they don't care about the politics. They don't want an 80-year-old president trying to tell a 25-year-old what is going to dictate their future. Working with millennials in leadership roles, what do you think there's some things that mentors can inject in them to make them strong leaders for the future? Wow. There's, so I have, I have a little bit of, uh, I don't know. I think it's a bias, an ageism, almost an ageism bias here. But when we look at the current, the millennials that are um, ascending into leadership, they've been doing so under the tutelage of folks who have not experienced the world that the millennials are living in. So the mindsets, the, the, the priorities you talked about. I've, I read recently that, that millennials aren't investing in things like 401ks and IRAs. They're investing in art. They're investing in, um, in things that... Right, renewable, sustainable. You know, I, I did that. I was talking to my financial planner, and she turned uh -huh. me on to some things that, you know, and I said, well, who invests in this? She says, millennials and millionaires. They want things that are, yeah, they want things that are sustainable. They want to invest in companies that are not uh, supporting wars or, you know, that have equal rights for women that are providing sustainable, renewable options for people in other countries, water and things like that. They have a different mindset. They do. And that's where, back to your question about mentoring these older folks, mentoring these younger folks who have um, 
a, a truly different perspective on things. I watched, uh, there was a study done, um, Massey, I think was his name, and he did this study first in the 70s, and they repeated it, <clears throat> pardon me, in the late 80s, early 90s, I think. You are what you were when was the name of this study. And he did a, it was on videotape, oh my gosh. And and it starts with this disclaimer. It says this the speed of this presentation is not the fault of your of your player. It's because this guy talks that fast. So he went through and he looked at what were the things that were in the formative years, what were the important the priorities in the formative years, generation to generation. And he started that study, 1910 to 1920, 30, 40, 50, and looking at what were the prevailing things, the the events, the worldwide events, the whatever it might have been, and how those things played into establishing the basic criteria for the things we valued, the way we thought, our paradigms on things, and that those tapes, we, we still talk about them as tapes that were running in our head back then, continue to influence our thinking today. So you've got millennials who are coming along with um, this rapid up, upwards trajectory of technology and accessibility and immediacy. And they're being mentored by people who have slogged through the traditional model that's in place in business. Right. I think about, I think about when I came into the corporate world, I was the third female programmer and they couldn't even call me a programmer because I was a female. So they had to call me an administrative clerk. Wow. Uh, that was back in the mid seventies where you could also ask during an interview question. So what are your thoughts about marriage and having children as a, as, as a way of, right. you know, filtering you out. Okay. So, so, so there aren't probably many of those left <laughs> in the, um, in the mentor stream. Um, but, there are those that they led, they taught, they mentored, and they imposed those values, the cultural things of the day. So I look at a millennial and I think, okay, you have a different set of things that are important to you. You have a different way of calibrating what is important to you. And what the, the, the most important thing that a mentor or a mentee can do is assure that we have established common ground for whatever it is that we're going to talk about. How do, how do you plan a project? How do you do a performance review? How, how do you budget for things? If, if you have any questions about that, let's make sure we're talking apples and apples. Right. That's great. And, and that means that the mentee and the mentor both have to be open to asking questions and being asked questions. Mm -hmm. And because to do so without it... Because the millennials want things in bite-sized pieces. They don't want a long lineage of, of history on why, you know, who who Mr. Ford actually was. And, you know, they, they don't yeah. care about that. They want to know, no. like you said, immediacy. What is it? How can I solve it right now? Yes. Yes. So, so the challenge there mentors is if... Also, like, I'm sorry, but mentors, I think they have to be open to what the millennials are saying and not be authoritative, authoritarian, one of them words. I got it. <laughs> but <laughs> they, they don't, or try to dictate or tell them they need to be open to the ideas of what is new and what is fluid and what is, you know, what change is. But yes. along those same lines, they still need to have that solid foundation. Yes, they do. And the foundation, the foundation in leadership, whether it's a millennial or somebody who's uh, older than that, <laughs> I don't want to get too ageism in here, you know. But well, you know what, I, and, and and that's absolutely fine because what people have to understand is that with age comes wisdom. Yes, it's a blessing to be 60, 65, 70, still having a sound mind, body, desire, heart, you know, and, yes. a, little, and a little chutzpah, you know, a little kicking it. That's a blessing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when, and I I went to a seminar where now corporations are really revisiting that and looking more at 
the more mature individual for some of these positions because they're not going to call in and say, hey, you know, we were raging last night and I'm not able to come in. I'll work from home on my device. Or let's do some strategic planning about the progression of the company. Let's have a focus group to talk about the mindset and the well-being of the employees in this current position. Let's also have a focus group on where we see things going. So all of this is very key. And yes. it's the basis of an organization, be it an organization of one. You know, these entrepreneurs, they get all excited with that big $25 word. But they're broke as a joke. Because you cannot be a solopreneur. You still need someone to do your marketing, to do your budgeting, to do your uh, write your business plan. Yes. You still need other players in that. And so leadership doesn't just mean being the head and not the tail. Mm. It is incorporating no. and, and, and valuing each person and each milestone along the way. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. It's a leader is about a leader's job is to inspire and enable success in the people that they are privileged to lead. They need to be stewards of the success of the people that are under their guidance. Absolutely. That is not a closed-minded, harsh-mouthed kind of a role. That is a role that says, I need to learn through you and with you. And in fact, the work I do with leaders in, in trying to it's it's they have stuff to unlearn mm -hmm. they have stuff to unlearn when it comes to things like being closed-minded to other ideas just because we've done it you know people get stuck in this communities it doesn't have to be a business families get stuck in that this is the way we've always done it right right and if we keep doing it the way we're doing it, we're going to keep getting what we're getting. And there isn't, I think, one single business, family, community, any entity that is interested in standing still and being stuck where they are today, even if they're in a great place. It's all about that forward movement. And even if you don't want to change, you've already brought up AI. There are so many things that are going to drive you toward change, like it or not. Absolutely. It's like the internet. My mother would say it was the devil. <laughs> and she was right to some degree. But could you imagine us not having, being in bed with the devil during the pandemic? It was yep. our lifeline. It was our absolute lifeline. The yes. convenience of being able to do your banking online. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of hiccups with that because every time you turn around, somebody's being compromised. Uh, you know, cyber cyber stealing, cyber uh cyber thievery. Yes. Fluid right now. But what a convenience it is to not have to get up, take the check to the bank, wait in the line. You know, all that's different. But yes. I want to also talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. That's big in the business world right now. And as a Black woman in America, I don't want to just be a headcount. I want a cotton-picking seat at the table. Okay? Yeah. I want you to honor and respect me, not because of the color of my skin, but the content of the information I have in my brain. But I also do want you to acknowledge that I am different than you that I have a different life experience, that I have a different demographic, that I eat different food, that I wear my hair differently. You know, here in California, we had to get legislation passed to wear our natural hair. If we wanted, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, the governor had to sign legislation to allow us to wear braids or to allow us to wear dreadlocks. I'm like, okay. And I thought it was, you know, a, a hell of a transition going backwards with a woman's right to choose. But now you are going down to the nap of my scalp. That determines who I am and the value that I bring to the table. There's a lot going on. I don't know how it, HR handles um, sexual indiscretions now in the workplace. You know, I didn't mind a guy telling me, oh, you sure look pretty today and you smell good. I was flattered by that. That brought the, the feminine essence out of me. Now, you know, they've been emasculated to, oh my God, he's flirting with me and he says something inappropriate. Now they're so uptight. Um, now you've got 
gender roles that you can't ask or tell if it's a male or female. I personally don't care how you get down intimately, you know, as long as you can come in and do the work. But it's like, oh, well, you're discriminating against me because, you know, I'm a guy and I wear lipstick and I carry a purse. You know, so now you've got to do the he, she, we, they, our. I just call you by your name, baby. That, that, that's it. I, I love you as an individual, but I don't, you know, I, I don't know if I um, am always willing, be honest, to take the time to, again, separate. Because I don't think that's inclusive. I think that's another way to segregate and separate individuals by having another pronoun. That's just my opinion. That's not that I don't respect who you are and your diversity. Absolutely. If you like it, I love it. But in the workplace or in the military, you know, it, my husband retired when women came on board and were living on the ship. He said, you know, baby, it's time for me to retire because I cannot discipline. I cannot be free to, to, to do the things that I need to do, to instruct, to say the things that I want to say without being called under the carpet. So this diversity, equity, inclusion is also a double-headed sword. How do you find it? I absolutely agree. And I watched when they first started, um, this is again, back in manufacturing. Curious how all of these things happened in manufacturing. Um, <laughs> but that um, it was about, uh, it was about diversity. The DEI has this uh, a later evolution of it, but it was about diversity training. And, and it would be about being an X in an O world. You know, that was pretty much how they would talk about it. So somebody's an X and they're surrounded by O's. And so what we need to do is not make them feel like they're different and all. It's, but, but wait a minute. My difference is some of the richness that I bring. I, I'm not coming from the same stamped um, model of how you think and act and feel. I don't have the same experiences. And while I'm a white woman, I felt some of this in in that way when in the mid seventies entering this male totally male dominated industry, and in fact my my the epiphany that sent me off on this career altering bend um, happened as a part in part because I was a woman, and. I'm grateful for being a woman, so don't get me wrong there, but that in that particular moment, I had never felt more alone and frightened about what it meant to be a woman in this man's world. And it actually, um, well, it changed my life, really, for the better, I have to say. Aren't some of our hardest lessons the ones that oh, yeah. make the biggest difference? Yeah, Exactly. The things that hurt us the most are our best teachers. But I want us to dial back a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your career and how you started in the automotive industry. Well, thank you. I started in the automotive industry. It was actually I was on the hunt for a summer job. Hmm. I was going to school for um, computer technology. And at that point, it was called data processing. Mm -hmm. And so I had been a math lover when I was in throughout school. And my mother, who was the, I'm telling you, the original badass woman, mm -hmm. um, she bought me this plastic um, thing that it was a model you put together and it was a computer. So you could, you could make it do things. And it was just fascinating to me. It was a plastic model with rubber bands and some wires and no power. But anyway, it just kind of piqued me. And as I was going through school, I'm thinking, well, maybe I should go into the service, except that the only jobs for women were nurses and secretaries. I couldn't type and I hate the sight of blood. So that wasn't going to work. So I decided that, well, maybe I'd go into computers. That was a big deal. That was a big deal. So I went to or a community college and got a programming, did a lot of programming and whatever, got an associate degree. Then I wanted to go to four-year university, uh, but I needed some money. So I approached a, a gentleman who was one of the youth leaders at the church, 
and um, asked him, if, and I knew he worked at Ford. I said, do you know if they have any like summer intern something, you know, I could go walk, work in a plant, whatever. Well, it ends up he gets me lined up for an interview to have a full-time salary job. Wow. And I'm saying it's networking. It's all about networking, right? So, um, so even though I didn't have any designs on, on getting married or having a baby, I didn't know how to answer those questions because I hadn't actually thought about it yet. They hired me. And so I ended up being an administrative clerk in a data processing organization at Ford. And that was the only time in my 30 years there that I ever actually interviewed for a job. Hmm. Now, I'm not sure if there was some kind of racket going around. I don't know. But at my first performance review, I was told I would never go anywhere in that company because I smiled too much. Okay. That was my performance feedback. Well, I went, I did go places in that company and I was delighted to uh, spend the 30 years there and be able to become, uh, well, I had a very successful career. And I saw the writing on the wall with where the industry was going and particularly people my age. And I thought, you know, I don't want to be walked out of this place when they figure out that they can get two of someone else for one of me. I want to be able to leave on my terms. And so at 30 years, I retired. Not No golden handshake, none of that. Just I retired. And in in anticipation of that, I went and I, I founded my own consulting firm that I would then step into when I was no longer a full time worker. And you know what it's like to be somebody who is just totally focused on giving everything to the company that you're going to retire from. I didn't, I felt cheating. I was cheating the company if I worked on my own business while I was hired or working for them. So I just set it up and I had all of the things in place. So when I did retire, I could step into that. And that's what I did. Well, you've done a fantastic job. Well, I don't know. I've, I've had a ball. But in that next year, I was um, contacted by General Motors to do a 15-month assignment. Now, I have to say, I went undercover when I was at Ford because IT people aren't supposed to give a crap about business people. And my epiphany was the thing that kicked me into knowing full well that you cannot inflict technology on people without helping them to be ready to leverage it. Right. IT people aren't supposed to care about that. So I went for 20 years at Ford, but I came out from undercover (laughs) when I retired. GM brought me in for 15 months, kept me for five and a half years as a consultant, and then said, why don't we stop dating? Let's get married. And so I became their oldest new hire at 59 years old. And I stayed with them another four or five years and retired again. But you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying about the value of having not older, but seasoned. Yeah, absolutely. Individuals that are going to bring that to the table. You cannot, I mean, it's like the the, the wisdom of a grandmother. Far, super, yes. far superior to the mother, okay? Because she's lived her life and the mother's life. Yeah, so right. you have to put value in that. But let's ask a question about... Um, performance. Now that everything has moved a lot towards uh, not working in the office, you can't really kind of keep that ego eye view of your employees as their contribution, as their work ethic, as their timeliness, as their demeanor, um, as their cohesiveness and collectiveness as a team for team building. How do or how should leaders consider that when it comes to performance reviews? You know, when I got a performance review, let me tell you, I was probably ready more so than my boss. I came yes. with what I did, how I did it, how I mm-hmm. performed, um, you know, why I should get a, you know, a raise. Uh, testimonials from other individuals, praises, awards, I had a complete packet to be able to talk for mine 
There was nothing that she could say. And a lot of times your supervisor, they've got 10 people. They don't know everything that you do. So you have to be an active contributor in that. And I would also be honest and say, you know, this was a project that probably was not my best. If I were to revisit that, I would probably have done this, that, and the other. And my bosses would appreciate that because I'm not just coming in at 100. I'm coming in at 85. And they say, well, you know, she's honest. She's got integrity. She's willing to grow. She's taking responsibility for her actions. Baby, you got to have a strategy when you go in there. Don't you, Carla? Absolutely. And I would encourage anyone who is under that kind of a protocol with a performance evaluation of some sort, you are your own best advocate. Do not expect the boss to know the ins and outs. They, they're trusting you to go and get your job, job done and to do it well. Now, you know what it is that you encountered. The other thing I would encourage is that you don't have these conversations once a quarter or or once every six months. I mean, there should be an ongoing dialogue, not so much that you're trying to get feedback from your boss about whatever, but that they know what's going on. I had, on one of my projects, um, I had a fairly large team and I asked them to do something that helped me so much as a leader. I had them deliver a 515 report. The 515 report was something that took less than 15 minutes to write and less than five minutes to read. And it had a real, it had just a few sections in it. You know, what happened? What's coming next? What were the Scud missiles? What questions do I think are going to be coming up in the future? That kind of a thing. Just, you know, here's what, what I, here's what happened, the results of it. Here's what's coming next. So that you, you can keep your boss who you have to hope cares about what you're doing. But you can keep those people and your teammates even aware of what's going on with a real, quick little bit of documentation that also you can bring with you into your performance review. And if there are questions that you need the boss to address, he also or she also has a record of it. Mm -hmm. So, So being able to, you have to be your own advocate, yes. On the leader's side, I, I started a movement that didn't go very far, I have to admit, but I put everything I had behind it. And it was that People understand that the judgments on uh, where people fit in the scheme of things, like who's the top person, who's the bottom person, I don't know, it could be the ABC system, it could be the nine box, it can be so many different things. But there are conversations that go on behind closed doors that are rich with the feet, I'm telling you, I know. But the, the fact is that the feedback about the individuals that comes down inside those closed rooms is not the feedback that the people who need it get. So if you're looking at an individual who is not getting enough exposure to this part of the organization, so they can't really support this, she's a top performer judgment, it's on the leader to help change that. Mm -hmm. So I, I, had, I was trying to commission this um, approach that would say, you know what, that conversation that goes on behind closed doors belongs with the individual. That, that, those don't. Know, they, they, they don't. They, they, you know, they don't. There's always a bunch of whispering and jaw jacking. And that's what I want to bring up next is jealousy and envy. Brains, let me tell you, <laughs> I had a situation where, yes, I was jealous and I was envious because this chick got a job that I felt I was qualified for and she wasn't. But baby, they worked her like a Hebrew slave. You best believe that. When she got that job, she was drooling and sweating and panting and her phone was always ringing. It was a salary position, it was a great salary, but she had to work for it. So be very careful about that. When you think that, oh, okay, well, this person is deserving, sit back and look at it. Do an informational interview before you take the job. Ask them, why did the last person leave that position? See if they're honest. If you have an opportunity, uh, ask that person, why did they leave that position? Because they're not going to give you anything. 
When you get a job and you get a promotion, you are going to work twice as hard as you've done before. And being envious of someone else, it doesn't, that's not for you. If we can all go to a smorgasbord and everything that's going to be on Carla's plate is not going to be on April's plate because it is not that's meant right. for me to eat. Mm-mm. So Mm-mm. sit back and, and also let your job be a, don't go in there with the disgruntled attitude. Always got an attitude. Don't nobody want to work with you. <laughs> You're annoying. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Go in there with a mm-hmm. smile on your face, even if it's bullshit. Go in there with the strategy that I am going to learn something. I'm going to, on my lunch hour, I'm going to go in and sit with Carla for about 30 minutes, two or three times a week and see what value I can get, how I can tap into her brain. Let me be polite to the janitor. The janitor knows a lot. Let me be polite to the CEO. If other people don't like him, that's a prime opportunity for you to like him because he got there or she got there because they know their stuff. So use it as a stepping stone. Be very strategic. Uh, Look at the alliances of the clients and the client base that you meet. When people come from other countries, I mean, other countries or companies, engage with them. That might be the opening for you for a new opportunity. Wouldn't you agree, Carla? I would absolutely agree. You cannot overstate the importance of looking around and seeing those who who you would like to emulate, who you would like to be able to tap into their their brains. I mean, in a sense, maybe unofficially mentoring you, even going ahead and asking somebody. You know, it could be somebody in a totally different part of the of the organization, but the way they do what they do is just so so compelling for you as you observe it, that you just want to get some more. Don't be afraid. I can tell you, it feels awesome when somebody comes up and says, I would really appreciate if if I could spend some time with you just to talk about X, Y, Z, how you handled that conflict in that meeting or whatever it might be. I, I did this. I did this. I saw, I watched a presentation from a vice president of General Motors. A, a wonderful leader, just delightful. And I was in the IT organization doing change management work, but I saw that there was kind of a conflict between what she had just described about this new organization that she was building and what I was being asked to do in my smaller role with the technology team. So I, I, I walked, I walked up to her one day in this ele- bank of elevators in this giant building, and it was just her and me. And I went up to her. I walked up and said, I would love to introduce myself, please. And so we, I did that. And I said, and I'm with the IT organization, and I would love to spend just five minutes, if we could, discussing how I think what we're doing is shaking the very foundation that you're trying to establish. And here's the thing. She was so open to that. So open. I'm talking to a vice president. Yeah. And ended up within a year that myself and my two teammates, who were all in this change management group, we were moved into her organization. And I fell into the best job ever. Yeah. I was in love with the work we were doing. So, but go up to people, find the people that you really are impressed with. And it doesn't even have to be somebody higher than you. You get some, you see somebody with a talent or an approach that just rocks, then go and have a conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's paramount. So in closing, what do your clients have to look forward to under your coaching instruction? The coaching that I'm doing is all about helping leadership teams change the narrative so that they can understand not just what accountability for the success of their organization looks like, but how other people are viewing what it is that they may be taking them to, specifically in the area of changing how we do business 
change if the change that you want to make in your life, if, if the change you want to make in your business involves anybody, any person having to adopt and adapt to it, I help them have those conversations and get that stuff scoped out right up front, create the create a script even that they can use to go and ask the tough questions. But sometimes the biggest thing is that they don't have that kind of culture going. We don't have an openness about being able to challenge stuff. I, as the sponsor of this change, I expect everybody to just figure it out because I say it's important. No, it's not how it works. I'll just quote a little statistic. Today, over 70% of projects that change how people work fail. And it's costing now trillions of dollars annually in losses. And the other stat, nine out of 10 people on a project team do not feel safe to bring up issues about the project. Mm -hmm. The cost of that silence. So I work with leadership teams and organizations as a whole to be able to open that up so that they can flow through and they can know because managing day to day and managing through change are two different beasts and they both both must be tamed simultaneously i help them do that i help them figure out how to do that and to do it on their own because the last thing i want is anybody to be dependent on me i want to i want to be able to fuel that progress and that success for them so that they can repeat it and ultimately let it become a part of their culture that, you know, we ask the tough questions. I'm going to have a meeting that says, here's what I want to do. Tell me how it will go wrong. Tell me how it will break. Tell me why it's a crappy idea so that you can get those thoughts before it gets so far down the line. Exactly. You've gone beyond blueprint. You've poured the foundation and now you're putting in drapes and uh uh-oh. Didn't know about that. Constructive feedback. Yes. Every time someone makes a comment, you know, it's to me, sometimes it's like, you know, water off a duck's back. It just rolls off because you have to consider the source. But if you've got someone that is really, you know, telling you, hey, um, I don't know. We have a casual dress code, but that doesn't mean shorts and flip flops in Congress, you know, uh, or. Uh, oops, did I say that? I did um, out loud? No. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, um, maybe you are, you know, not punctual. That's a respect for people's time. You're going to get more money. You're going to get more opportunities, but you're not going to get anything if you're not on time. Respect that. Maybe you're not doing a good job. Maybe you are distracted. Maybe you are depressed. Maybe there's something going on at home. But if that is being brought to your attention, don't go from a flicker to a flame and come back and shoot up the damn place. Take it in the stride and say, you know what? Let me look at this. Yes, it's hurtful, but let me process it because this is something that I am exuding. Absolutely. It makes you a better person. I've had to eat crow and it's tough. (laughs) Believe me, it's not like a chicken wing. It's it's tough. But when I thought about it and I said, wow, this is what people are thinking about me in the workplace. Maybe I ought to adjust that. This thing of quiet quitting. Oh, people notice when you come to work and you do exactly what you're supposed to do and get out of there. No innovative, no input, no excitement, nothing. Okay, well, I could have AI do your job. How about that? That's right. Okay, I can outsource your job to another country that somebody would appreciate getting $10 an hour where they're getting probably $2 an hour now. Think Uh about that. Uh Here in the United States, we become very persnickety on what we won't do. I had a bid for some some work done on my property. There was only one ethnic group that showed up out of all seven. I was like, where's the diversity? You know, these are still very viable jobs. I'm about to pay a whole lot of money. Who wants to work? And then the great resignation after um, COVID. 
I don't know what you guys are doing when gas here in San Diego is six twenty-five a gallon. Oh my! And right, and the minimum for a two-bed, no, a one-bedroom is twenty-two hundred dollars, and they don't want to pay a, a living wage of fifteen dollars. So, all that needs to be considered, and then your family. What sort of work ethic are you showing your children and teaching your children? You want them laying up like lunch meat? just sitting there, big piece of bologna doing nothing. You want them to know, to show up, to have integrity that, you know, you are getting paid to do a job. You're getting paid to do a service. And lastly, all you entrepreneurs, you can't make any money if you don't ask for the business and you close on the deal. As simple as that. They're not going to pay you because you're cute. You know, Carla is gorgeous. She's got all of this brain with, she's worked for Ford for over 34 years. She's a seasoned professional. But when you work with her, you've got to pay her. You can't just do this for shit and giggles. And so understand that money is energy and it's fluid and it needs to flow. As simple as that. And if you don't do it, then you're stuck. You're stuck in a time warp. And uh, Carla, you have just been such a gift. I could sit and talk to you for hours. You were so heady. I really appreciate you and value you in so many different ways, especially as being a woman of a particular age. I honor that. I respect that. So it's not about ageism. It's about charisma. It's about class. It's about wisdom. It's about style. You keep forging right ahead. You keep forging right ahead. And tell my brains how to get in contact with you. They want to consult with you. They want to work with you. They might even be able to mentor with you. Wonderful. Well, thank you. First, April. What a delight. I am so happy that we were able to spend this time together. I, I'm hoping that there will be more. Um, as far as getting a hold of me, I'm going to invite an email. And that would be to Carla, C-A-R-L-A, at cjlinnovations.com. C-J-L-I-N-N-O-V-A. T-I-O-N-S dot com. Let me know that you're coming from April and um, let's see what we can do. And let's let's, let's see talk what we about can it do. Because again, the, the labor market is different. Even unions, union busting, indiscretion in unions. I didn't call that out, okay? How they're shifting it's their indiscretion money. everywhere. But they're shifting their money to political, to political yeah. powers. Mm -hmm. have an influence there with lobbyists just know what you're doing brains just know what you're doing and have a sense of integrity thank you so much for being here on the edge brains i need you to go in like love share and subscribe where's your sign at carla i saw you had it girl i do i do <laughs> let me see your face in it too oh there you gotta go. see my face yeah Get the there mic and everything oh my gosh yes like, indeed love share and subscribe we are on all the major hotspots, all the social media platforms. We're going to replay this. We're going to put all of Carla's information in the back. Call her for consultation. Let me tell you, the information that you can get, as we spoke of, in an informational interview can be invaluable. Thank you so much again, and come back and see me again. You promise? I promise. Okay. And I'm a brain, so of course I will. <laughs> Smart daddy. <laughs> Talk to you soon. I love you, Brent. Thank be you. Good to yourself. And be a good Thank employee. You. How about that? Yeah. <laughs>